0: those engaging with us via live stream, we are so grateful that you have taken the time to be with us this morning. And I long for the day in which we get to gather together. I was talking with the first grade sibling of one of these seniors earlier, and he shared with me, you know, watching live stream is really boring. And I thought, man, I love your honesty. (laughs) Because it is tough. It is hard to engage via live stream at home. And I long for the day in which we get to gather in here together. And Lord willing, it's going to be soon. In fact, at the end of the service, I'll be sharing with you our regathering plan and how we can look forward to that great day in which we get to gather together again as a faith family. It is pretty incredible the times in which we now live, in which we are having to watch how we stay healthy and we are washing our hands diligently. I saw recently where a pharmacy up in New York City, they increased the price of an eight ounce bottle of hand sanitizer to $50 a bottle. And I was blown away by that. Like, man, this has become really important. But when you do get to Mark chapter seven, We are introduced to the Pharisees who approach Jesus and his disciples in which they have serious concerns about them not washing their hands. But the washing of their hands was not motivated by being sanitary or having good hygiene. It was about something much greater. And I want you to see it this morning in Mark chapter 7. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 7. That's where we're going to be setting up camp this morning. As you're turning there. I want you to take note that if you go to gowestwood.org forward slash kids worship, my wife uh, has written a Bible study uh, for kids, primarily ages uh, third grade through eighth grade, but it's also good for adults and you can check out how to study through the Gospel of Mark. You can download all the information there and it's a great resource for you to consider. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark as a faith family and seeing Jesus on the move. So much of this book is about the actions of Jesus. So little attention is given to the actual teachings of Jesus. In fact, if you go back to chapter 3 and 4, we see a little bit of Jesus' teaching where he's discussing parables about the kingdom but the rest of the text is primarily about the actions of Jesus, kind of like a home video camcorder following Jesus around. It cuts from one event to another in which Jesus is stepping into someone's life who's hurting and he cares and shows compassion for them. But when we get to Mark chapter seven, we see the teaching of Jesus in which he begins to explain what it means to be clean before God. And when we get to Mark chapter 7, we see the Pharisees show up. Now, the Pharisees were a religious group of Jews. They had very high strict laws that people were supposed to follow. They believed that their behavior is what made them clean. But I want you to see this morning these four truths here in the text. The first is this. Number one, religious rituals do not make you clean. Look with me at Mark chapter 7 beginning with verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, meaning Jesus. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed, Hands, Press pause there. As we're walking through Mark, his primary audience that he is writing to is Gentile. It's people who are not Jewish. They don't have the Jewish background. They're unfamiliar with Judaism. And so you'll find frequently throughout his gospel, he's giving commentary to explain what Judaism is and why certain people who were Jews did certain things a certain way. Specifically, look at verse three. He gives context. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed, And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. You see, these religious leaders had traveled 90 miles from Jerusalem to Capernaum. And they're motivated to shut down the popularity of Jesus. They're trying to find a way to undercut his influence. And at first, it appears that they're concerned about the disciples' hygiene, verse 2. But it wasn't the disciples' health that they were concerned about. It was a ritual defilement. It was unclean. You see, the Pharisees believed that salvation came by keeping the law. But you see, keeping the law, performing religious actions, it's kind of like running on a treadmill. You work hard, you're exhausted, but you get nowhere. Well, the Pharisees believed that their righteous actions, that keeping these strict and stringent man-made traditions made them right with God. So to keep the law, they would distance themselves from unbelieving Gentiles so that they would not be contaminated by them. This was in part why the Pharisees hated Jesus so much was because not only did Jesus hang out with Jews, he also, as we're going to see next week, hung out with Gentiles. Jesus ate dinner at the home of sinners and tax collectors. If you go back to Mark chapter 2, you're going to see where Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, to follow me. Matthew leaves everything behind and he follows Jesus. The next verse talks about how Jesus and his disciples went to Matthew's house where they ate food together. They had a meal at a table and it's there that Jesus is eating meal with sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees show up and they ask Jesus' disciples, why does your master, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Does he not understand what he's doing? Jesus overhears the conversation and he says, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, Jesus has a love and a passion for people who are messed up just like me and you. Jesus loves people who are broken, people who don't have their act together, people who have turned their hearts in other directions because he pursues after the lost and he calls all people everywhere to repent and to come to himself. Well, the Pharisees didn't like that very much. They were moral they were well-behaved people they didn't like the fact that Jesus would extend grace to those who did not keep their laws but the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus loved to intermix with he loved to interact with people who were dirty hear me you must first realize that you are dirty before you can become clean You must first realize that you are a sinner in need of saving before you can be saved. You must first understand that you're lost before you can be found. But the beauty of the gospel is that no matter what's in your past, no matter how dirty or shameful or sinful your past is, the beauty of the gospel is that the blood of Jesus is greater He made a way through his cross that he extends you forgiveness and reconciliation to God in which you get to come into a right relationship with God through him. This is what the gospel offers to you. For all who have a messed up past, for all who feel shame, the beauty of Jesus is that he draws you near. These Pharisees, they thought they were clean. They thought they were morally superior to everyone else. And so as not to be contaminated by sinners, they established these rituals to clean themselves. For example, after going to the market, an Orthodox Jew would have to take a full bath after coming home so that they could be clean of coming in contact, possibly with any unbelieving Gentile. Mark even references in verse 4 how their customs even included menial things, small things like cups and pitchers, kettles, and even dining couches. Some of you have experienced what this was like uh, recently, as some of you have brought groceries home from the grocery store. And you probably put them on the counter, and you pull out the the Clorox wipes, and you start wiping things down, trying to get rid of, of germs. Well, imagine doing that every day. And that's what these Pharisees did. They did it with passion. But the thing is, keeping these rituals is not what makes you clean. Hear me on this. Clorox wipes, hand washing, and religious rituals will never wash away your sin. There is something bigger. There is something greater that you need than what the exterior cleaning can actually do. I want you to see secondly in the text that man-made traditions do not make you clean. The Pharisees had religious rituals like hand-washing and many other traditions that had been passed down for generation to generation. Yet they're not upset primarily with the disciples. The emphasis of verse 5 is an accusation against Jesus. Look with me at Mark 7 verse 5. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? The emphasis here is on the your. What we see here is we see them accusing Jesus, holding him responsible for not them not keeping the law. Reminds me of Genesis chapter three. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it was there that after they had sinned, Adam deferred responsibility back to God and even to his wife. We see in Genesis 3.12, Adam responded, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. Adam is deferring responsibility and saying, God, it's your fault that this happened. Well, here we see the Pharisees holding Jesus accountable. They're saying, you are the one who's responsible for why these disciples are not eating with clean hands. And so Jesus responds by quoting Isaiah's prophecy from chapter 29, verse 13, and he applies it to the Pharisees. Verse six, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. Oh, snap. Jesus now accuses the Pharisees of hypocrisy. Throughout his ministry, as you study the gospels, Jesus regularly would call out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, for saying one thing and doing another. Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 3, they do not practice what they preach. You see, the hypocrites, they say one thing And then they go and do another. They tell other people to do something, but they themselves won't do it. Have you ever met someone like that? Have you ever met someone who says one thing that you're supposed to do this, but then they go and do the opposite? Well, that's what these Pharisees are doing. With their lips, they're saying one thing, but with their hearts, they're doing something completely different. That's why Jesus says here in the text, they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Beloved, hear me on this. God is not interested in lip service, empty promises, or half-hearted commitments. God wants your heart. You can sing with your lips. You can praise with your lips. You can pray with your lips. You can say, God, I love you with your lips. But God sees past the hypocrisy and he sees right into your heart. Question, how's your heart today? Have you found that your heart is chasing and running after other things other than the Lord? Do you find that your lips are saying one thing, but your heart, is doing another. This morning, come before the Lord right where you are. And once you align your lips and your heart together and say, God, here is my heart and my life. I want you to be my greatest joy and delight. I want all of my life to revolve around you. You see, this is, this is what Jesus is after here. He's not interested in outward religion. He wants your heart. You see, these Pharisees thought they could come close to God because they were religious. They kept these man-made traditions that then passed down for generations. And they were taught as if they were doctrine. They were taught as if this was God's truth. And Jesus is saying, you've missed it completely. You have abandoned, verse 8. You have disregarded, you have neglected God's word for human traditions. You've taken what people have said long ago, and you're holding fast to that and completely rejecting God's word. These Pharisees believed that if they obeyed God's word perfectly and they kept the traditions, then surely they have salvation. Surely they were good enough to receive God's favor. But as followers of Jesus, that's not us. We are not those who are clinging to our righteousness before God. We're clinging to the righteousness of Christ for us. We're not trusting in our good works to get us to heaven. We're trusting in the good works of Jesus for us to get us to heaven. You see, there is a significant difference. Are you trusting in your good works to get you to heaven? May I say it's not enough. It's insufficient. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast you see, if you're working your way to heaven, if you're trying to prove how self-righteous you are and how good you are before God, ultimately you're the one getting the glory. God will not give his glory to another. And so for you to receive salvation, you have to throw your hands up and stop trying and say, it's not about me being good enough because you and I, we could never be good enough for God's perfection. So when we couldn't be good enough, God's Perfect son came and he lived a perfect sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And he died a perfect death on the cross to satisfy God's wrath towards your sin and my sin. Jesus was laid in a tomb, but he didn't stay there, for on the third day he came back to life. And so you and I, we're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus that God has made a way for us to be restored back to a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus. But these Pharisees, they just didn't get it. They kept thinking by keeping certain rituals, by keeping these traditions, that that is what would make them right before God. They thought by doing these good works that it's going to be enough. But you see, they didn't get it. Instead, verse nine, they rejected God's word and they're holding fast to tradition. Notice how Jesus is contrasting the Pharisees with Moses. Okay, verse 10, Jesus says, for Moses said, but then he says in verse 11, but you say, Jesus is contrasting what the Pharisees are doing and saying with the law of Moses. But then we see Jesus, he gives us an example of what he's talking about. And he references the fifth commandment. Verse 10, Moses commanded, verse 10, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. But you say, verse 11, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is an offering devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. What's Jesus talking about here? You see, Corbin was a method of giving all of your money and all of your possessions to the work of God when you die. And so for Jews, if your parents were sick and they needed financial help, if if they're in their old age and if they can't take care of themselves and you declared all of your possessions Corbin, then you would in essence be saying, mom, dad, I love you, like to help you, but I can't because all my wealth is Corbin. It's all been devoted to God. So at my death, it all goes to him. I can't help you. And Jesus is saying, you've totally missed the point of the fifth commandment of honoring your father and your mother. You see, the Pharisees had so twisted the law that they were giving people an an out by appearing super spiritual and saying, it all belongs to God. All of my possessions are him. So that means mom and dad, you're out. Even though you're suffering, even though you're hurting, I'm not going to help you. But then Additionally, rules were added into the rabbinic system to undo that vow. According to the Talmud, which is the primary source of Jewish law, it says that a man was not bound, even after saying Corban, over his possessions and his wealth, he could still use it for himself. So in essence, it's an end-around way that Jews could say, Sorry, Pop. Sorry, Ma. I've got no way to support you. It's all for the Lord, when actually it's not. Do you see the hypocrisy? Do you see why Jesus would get so angry? Because they would take God's word and they would twist it. They would pervert it for personal gain. So who are the Pharisees to lecture people, let alone Jesus, about behavior when they've created this man-made tradition to skate around God's word? So Jesus calls them out for their hypocrisy. He summarizes it there in verse 13. He says, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you do many other similar things. Hear me, religious rituals cannot save you. Religious traditions cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. Trust in him. Thirdly, I want you to see in the text that dietary restrictions do not make you clean. When you look at the text here in chapter 7, Jesus says in uh, verse 14 to the crowd, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him or make him unclean but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus' point was that outside things like ceremonial washing, un, uh, ceremonially unwashed hands or eating certain foods according to Jewish tradition, that's not what makes you dirty. The contamination of sin does not come from the outside. It comes from the inside. Jesus is addressing the crowd that have been taught, in order for you to be right with God, you have to act a certain way. You have to have certain behaviors. There have been more than 600 laws in the Old Testament of don't do this and you must do that. Plus all of the additional traditions and restrictions and rituals, they were focused on outward obedience rather than on the heart. But do you remember what the Lord said to Samuel In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Disciples, they're not quite picking up what Jesus is picking down. They're fuzzy on what he's addressing here. So he says to them, verse 17, are you still lacking understanding? Don't you understand? Don't you realize that nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach, and it's eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Jesus is driving home with the disciples. Being pure before God is not about what foods you eat. It's not about making sure you have clean hands or having certain dietary restrictions because verse 19, all foods are clean. Eat whatever you want. God wants something more than your religious actions. God wants something more than just the groceries that you buy. God wants your heart. Why? Because number four, sin flows out of your heart. Verse 20 Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's, what? Hearts. Jesus points to the heart, verse 21, as the seat upon which we are defiled, by which we are unclean. You see, the heart is the wellspring of life. It's the seat that sits all of our will, our reasoning, and our motives. It flows from the heart. But then Jesus lists out 13 evils that come from the heart, we see first that the evil actions that Jesus addressed here. We see sexual immoralities. It's the word pornea. It's sexual immorality. Thefts, which is stealing from others. Regardless of value, it is stealing. It is taking from others. He says murders, which is taking someone else's life. Adulteries, which is sexual sin that violates the marriage covenant. He says evil actions, which is wickedness. It's breaking God's law and violating his holy will. He's, he mentions slander, which is abusive speech about another person. Then he mentions not only evil actions, but also verse 21, evil attitudes. He mentions evil thoughts, which is sinful reasoning, the way you think. He mentions greed, which is coveting. It is desiring what someone else has, whether it's someone else's spouse or someone else's possessions or someone else's circumstances. He mentions deceit, which is craftiness. It is lying. It is deception. He says self-indulgence, which is a lustful and dirty mind. Envy, that literally means an evil eye. It's eyes full of jealousy and eyes full of hatred. He mentions pride, which is arrogance self-promotion. And then he finishes off with foolishness. This is the summation of all of these. It's attitude and actions that are contrary to God's will. Jesus is saying here, a dirty heart produces a dirty life. All of these actions, all of these attitudes, they come from the heart. And so when you hear someone speaking evil, when you hear vulgarities coming out of people's mouths, you know exactly what's happening in the heart. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But he also says here that you can see what's going on in people's hearts by their actions. When you see evil behavior, it's revealing what's happening here. And so in order for us to be clean, we have to have a clean heart. You see, for so many people, they think I've got to be clean. I've got to fix myself. I've, I've got to get my act together. Maybe this is you, as you read this list that Jesus has just laid out, and you're like, wow, that really describes me in many ways. May I say to you, you don't need religion You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need a new New Year's resolution. You you don't need to try harder. You don't need better conduct. What you need is a heart change. And the only thing that can change your heart is not you, but Jesus. Jesus is the doctor who not only diagnoses the problem, but he provides the solution he provides the medicine and you can be clean you can be made whole through Jesus he changes the condition of your heart and he washes your heart and once he washes your heart it leads to a washed life a new life and that's what he does for us in the gospel now for parents what we're not after is behavior modification with our kids hear me moral people who don't know Jesus still go to hell. Apart from turning and trusting in Jesus, it's never enough. That's why Jesus says in John 3, you must be born again. There has to be a heart transformation that takes place within you. And if you do not know Jesus, you don't need to try harder. You don't need to grit your teeth or pull out the bootstraps on your salvation. Rest in Jesus He did everything necessary for your salvation. You trust in him. And when you believe the gospel, when you trust in Christ, he washes your heart, which then leads to a changed life. You see, religion says obey and then you might be accepted. The gospel says in Christ you are accepted, so you want to obey. You desire to honor the Lord once he changes your heart. Question, has Jesus changed your heart? If not, here's the impact point. Here's the next step for you to take today, and it's this. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and he will clean your heart. You see, if you're trying to get right with God through exterior motives, it's kind of like trying to clean your heart with this hand sanitizer doesn't solve the greatest problem that you have and it's not clean hands that you need you need a new heart this morning come to jesus rest in him trust in him and when you do he will wash you he will make you new Though your, your sin is red like crimson, he will make you white as snow. Jesus loves to wash sinners like you and like me when we humbly come to him by faith. If you do not know Jesus, come to Christ. Believe upon him and he will rescue you. And you can do it right here, right now, right where you are. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in him. Romans 10 says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, you call upon the Lord Jesus and say, God, here is my heart. Here is my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I surrender everything to you. You trust in Jesus right now, and he will receive you, and he will clean you, and he will make you